Welcome to the Once Was Lost podcast. This is a cold case episode concerning Tanya Marie Murrell. We are now partnered with storiesoftheunsolved.com. Please visit there incredible repository of missing and abducted, as well as murder cases, which are so well documented. This episode is brought to us by storiesoftheunknown.com. Please remember to just quickly also hit the five stars if you understand what this is all about. We are the podcast side of the OWL, Once Was Lost Missing Persons, phone application for iOS and Android, And we are a new way of searching for missing or abducted persons in real time, which involves you. That's if you want to be prepared and also be a part of the solution. We need five-star ratings for the Apple algorithm so that we can be suggested and also to create just greater word of mouth, uh, you know, suggestions, which is how we've been growing so quickly. Thanks to you guys. So subscribe to this podcast, rate and review a review as well as download the Missing Persons app so you're never caught off guard. You can go to the owl-oncewaslost.com, which is the OWL app uh, webpage, and you can download both there as well, the application as well as the podcast. And also check out, again, storiesoftheunknown.com, who have been so incredibly gracious to allow us to use their great repository of true crime data and information. So let's get this episode started today. We are talking again about Tanya Marie Murrell. In her early life, Tanya Marie was obviously born June 20th, 1976 to her parents, Vivian and Jack. Vivian worked as a bakery manager while Jack was a carpenter who built new houses for Allrit Homes on the west side of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. According to those who knew the family, Vivian and Jack were known for their partying lifestyle, their use of marijuana, their love of rock music, and for riding Harley-Davidson motorcycles. The Murrell family resided in a small, rented bungalow at 10426-145th Street in Edmonton, an area which is said to have been the home to numerous registered and convicted molesters and rapists. Tanya is described as having been a happy child whom everyone loved. While quiet and content, she was also known for her love of singing and tap dance. When she wasn't playing with her Barbie dolls or in the sandbox in the family's backyard, she could be found in the water as she was a great swimmer. When she grew up, she'd hoped to become a veterinarian as she loved animals. So leading up to her disappearance at 7.30 a.m. on January 20th, 1983, Tanya's aunt, Ferda Stortz, was dropped off at the Merle home by her common-law husband as she would be babysitting the children for the day. To her recollection, Tanya and her five-year-old brother, John, were eating breakfast while Jack left the house for work. Vivian is said to have been talking with her daughter before she, too, left the house at just after 8 a.m. According to her fellow classmates, Tanya was last seen leaving her first grade class at Grosvenor Elementary School at around 11 a.m. She was meant to meet up with John, and the pair were going to walk home for lunch, where Vera was waiting for them. When John exited the school, he found his sister was not there and assumed she'd went out without him, so he made the block-and-a-half trek home himself. 
So for the disappearance, John arrived home at 11.20 a.m. When questioned by his aunt as to his sister's whereabouts, he explained that other students had told him that Tanya had gone to a friend's house for lunch. However, when Vera went to check, she found her niece was not at the house. Concerned, Vera contacted Vivian at work, who automatically knew something was wrong. While she hoped her daughter had simply gone to a friend's house, she couldn't shake the feeling and decided to head home quickly. When she arrived, she learned that Vera had been searching up and down the street for Tanya to no avail. Jack was also contacted, and sharing the same feeling as his wife, immediately returned home to search for his missing daughter. Hoping to find Tanya in class, Vivian went to Grosvenor Elementary School but found her daughter's desk empty. At this point, she phoned the Edmonton Police Service and an officer stopped by the house where he made note of what Tanya was wearing and began a door-to-door search of the area. Throughout the course of the day and into the night, Vivian and Jack hoped their daughter had simply decided to have an impromptu sleepover with a friend and had forgotten to inform them but she failed to show up for school the next morning. Uh, This is why it's so important to have the app. Um, I really mean that. This is why this simple app is just incredible, incredible because of the simplicity of the way it works in real time and just is based off of the law of large numbers. The more people that have the app, the more that are using it, the quicker somebody can be found within that first crucial hour. Because you can see the parents are, you know, frantic here. They know something is wrong but there's only so much that they can do once they've, you know, let the police know. And this is actually rare back in the eighties that they would start searching as soon as they did. But we are talking about Canada here and not the United States. So anyways, she had not been seen or heard from uh, anyone uh, since that morning. So the search initially, those investigating Tanya's disappearance weren't quite sure how to handle it. However, the police did state that they believe she left via the elementary school's east doors at approximately 11.10 a.m., and she didn't wait for her brother's class to break for lunch. The story made both national and international news, with outlets across Canada and the United States reporting on Tanya's disappearance. For weeks, her case was the lead story on local newscasts. The search for Tanya involved hundreds of personnel including police, officers, friends, relatives, and citizen volunteers. The ground search was the largest up to that point in Edmonton's history, with hundreds of city blocks, including alleys, ravines, and their neighborhood where the mural family lived, checked by those on foot and by vehicle. Despite the extensive searches, her clothing and school books were never located, neither were any witnesses. Only her Safeway bag was located at the school. According to some of the children who attended Grosvenor Elementary School, they had seen a girl being chased by a German shepherd, but this had not been substantiated and is currently unknown if the girl seen was Tanya. Detectives were flooded with tips about the case, but few turned out to be of any significance. Both of Tanya's parents were ruled out as suspects, as they were both at work at the time of her disappearance. However, due to their drug use and partying lifestyle, investigators were of the belief that someone who was acquainted with the family could have possibly been involved. This theory was further spurred on by community rumors, which said Jack had owed hundreds of dollars to a small-time drug dealer for some marijuana he'd purchased. I I don't know, guys, if 
that necessarily means that uh, one of these people abducted the child uh, off such a small amount of money, even in the 80s, and again, for a marijuana deal. So anyways, it's just my opinion. Uh, Not long after Tanya vanished, the family dog Harley also disappeared. However, foul play was not suspected. At one point during the investigation, Tanya's parents were the victims of an extortion attempt, a crime for which a man was eventually convicted. In the summer of 2008, a basement was excavated about 20 blocks from where the family lived in 1983. This search was the result of a tip the lead detective received from a woman who claimed she had been a playmate of Tanya's and was suspicious about a hole in the basement of her family's home. However, the excavation turned up nothing. Around 30 years after the disappearance, a former school friend of Tanya's came forward to say the missing girl had approached her on the day in question to say she was going to be nearby 7-Eleven for lunch as she had some spare money. The convenience store was in the opposite direction of the mural home. According to the woman, she last saw Tanya walking alone in the southwest direction toward 144th Street toward Stony Plain Road at 147th Street. The case is considered the biggest missing child case in Edmonton's history. Currently, investigators are of the theory that she was abducted and murdered. Throughout the course of the investigation, they have checked with molesters and rapists who were known to have lived in the area. So we have a couple of theories. One, the primary theory in the case is that a man who was known to the family abducted Tanya. An alcoholic, he was a 31-year-old at the time and did not have a solid alibi for the day the young girl went missing. According to those who knew him and the family, he'd taken Tanya and her brother alone camping, and around the time of her disappearance, he wrote a poem about a love that could never happen. He also said to have been violent, having once smashed a beer bottle into a man's face while playing cards. While another time, he turned off the ignition of the Merle family station wagon resulting in the car entering a ditch. I don't know (laughs) exactly what that would mean concerning this case, though, you know, as far as the car. Around the time of Tani's disappearance, he moved away from Edmonton and would later have a daughter whom he named after the missing girl. Investigators interrogated him for 11 hours, and while he didn't explicitly deny abducting Tanya, he's reported as saying, fuck you, you ain't gotten anybody and a polygraph test proved inconclusive. The evidence they had resulted in the police offering him a plea deal of second-degree murder, which he refused. He has never faced any criminal charges in relation to the case because, while detectives believe they have enough for a murder charge, they fear the evidence may not be enough to secure a conviction. The man is also a person of interest in the 1979 disappearance of nine-year-old Kevin Ramirez, who went missing after he wandered away from his family's campsite in Elk Island National Park in Alberta. The young boy's body was eventually found not too far from where he was last seen, and the person in question is said to have worked at the park at the time. According to Vivian, the man was not capable of harming Tanya, a stance further backed up by Jack. This was despite her friend's warning to her that to never let him near their children. These friends would report years later that Vivian had changed her opinion of the man and believed him to have killed her daughter. Currently, the man's whereabouts and whether he is still alive are unknown. His last known location was Ontario, where he moved in the spring of 1983. 
Another theory is that the case in which Tanya was taken by a woman who couldn't bear to, you know, have her own, she couldn't bear her own children. This is a theory held by the missing girl's younger sister, Alicia, who believes she's still alive and has been brainwashed. The basis for this theory is a witness who reported seeing a woman dragging an unwilling girl down the sidewalk at 144th Street near 104th Avenue around the time of Tanya's disappearance. Now, to me, that's a little bit more credible. So two years after her disappearance, Tanya's sister, again, Alicia, was born. Unable to bear the stress brought on by the case, the family eventually relocated to Kelwana, British Columbia. Jack and Vivian would divorce in the 1990s as a result of the mental and emotional toll of Tanya's disappearance. God, we see that almost on every case. It always ends up um, in divorce of the parents of the missing child, which is a shame. But when you're under that kind of stress, you know, that's that's what's going to happen, unfortunately. They both developed substance abuse issues and have since passed away. Vivian was uh, passed away in 2011, and then Jack passed away in 2005. Tanya's brother, John, also suffered from substance abuse problems later in life and would eventually die as well. Tanya's parents set up the Tanya Mural Missing Children's Society, which is said to be the first agency in Canada to have a sole focus on missing children. The society dissolved a few years after its creation due to the toll of Tanya's disappearance on the family but its legacy is not lost. The case resulted in the creation of the first Alberta chapter of Child Find, and the organization said that the case continues to serve as a reminder to parents to ensure their children know what to do in the face of danger and how to avoid it. There was a book titled What Happened to Tanya. It was released about the case at one time. The contact information here on Tanya Muir, I'm sorry, Tanya Marie Morell, who went missing from Grosvenor Elementary School in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, on January 30th, 20th, sorry, 1983. She was six years old at the time. She was last seen wearing a black Harley Davidson t-shirt, a blue and white winter coat with fur trim around the collar, high brown boots, and white bikini panties. At the time of her disappearance, she stood at three feet, two inches tall and weighed approximately 45 pounds. She had sandy blonde to light brown hair, and her eyes are said to have been very either brown or hazel in color. Her ears were pierced, and she has a birthmark on her right temple, which is about the size of a quarter. Currently, the case is classified as a non-family abduction. If alive, she would be 44 years old. Those with information about the case are asked to contact the Edmonton Police Service at 780-421-421. 3382 or the Royal Canadian Mounted Police at 877-318-3576. So that's going to end this case for today. Please give us a five-star rating if you enjoy the show. We're working very hard in providing better content as well as most importantly, getting new downloaders for the Missing Persons app, which just about everyone would be a candidate for to have on your own phone. Please also support storiesoftheunknown.com and just help being part of this solution to this yearly epidemic of missing persons and abductions. It's absolutely unacceptable as long as we do have the OWL app available for you to use. Thank you. We'll see you on the next episode.